So at the end of Galatians 4, it concludes, in my mind, um, a certain kind of theme or, or way that Paul has been addressing the people in, in the churches of Galatia. Um, he's made some, some very strong claims, and he's having to make some strong claims. Because of the claims that are, going to be, are being made, <clears throat> excuse me, are being made in his absence at the church, all focused around now that we believe in Jesus, what is our relationship to the law of Moses? Is it something uh, that we are to cast aside? Is it something we are to follow to the letter? What is the, what is the way that we should approach the law of Moses? Um, there's, <clears throat> there's so much time and energy um, spent on the law, um, but God, excuse me, Paul talks in multiple ways, uh, personally, practically, scripturally, um, and allegorically at the end of chapter 4 about um, why the, the need to follow the law of Moses in order to be justified and sanctified before God is no longer there. It's no longer, it's no longer necessary. <clears throat> when you look at um, the the major and the minor prophets. I'm going to talk about, introduce uh, the class at a, a per, pretty much the same way every time, but, it, but maybe a slightly different language. When you look at the minor prophets, the, the major prophets, sometimes there are condemnations against other nations uh, besides Israel. Uh, those condemnations are not because they didn't obey the law. Uh, those condemnations are based on, I think, the relationship between those nations and their covenant, uh, then the covenant that God made with Abraham. If you remember back Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Those are the things that carry on throughout, throughout history. <clears throat> there's, there's not a need for the Gentiles to come tied to the law of Moses. Um, and, and Paul is trying to make that claim uh, throughout. At the end of chapter Four, he uses uh, what he calls, <clears throat> or at least what the English translation is in verse 24, an allegory between Sarah and Hagar's life. And the point I was trying to make uh, last time was first, let's understand what, what Paul's point is and then understand how this principle of applying a scripture um, applies to us. Paul is saying, look, you may think you are the son of Abraham, and you are, but you're not the son of Abraham through Sarah. You're the son of Abraham through Hagar, uh, through a slave, if you're trying to follow these Judaizers and teach uh, and practice the law. <clears throat> so, therefore, just as Sarah said of Hagar, chapter 4, verse 30, cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman, just as she, <clears throat> Sarah, cast out Hagar, you, Galatian churches, should be casting out those who are Judaizing, uh, Judaizing teachers. The last point that I, <clears throat> these were some of the applications that we made. I wanted to try and, if, especially if anybody had any comments about the things that I said before, talk about how Paul interprets Scripture here and, and our application in a similar way. Um, the, the claim that I made is there are times where there are shadows, there are um, forward-looking pictures of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, uh, Psalms, in the narratives, etc. 
but, but oftentimes those are made obvious to us either in interpretation in the New Testament, like in the, the way that Jesus interpreted a passage, or in the way that, um, say, the Hebrew writer interpreted a passage. We have a, a responsibility to, to look at the Bible um, as being regularly written in literal form. So that the story in the Old Testament is the story in the Old Testament. It's not necessarily, well, what, you know, how many stripes did Joseph's uh, coat of many colors have? And how many, what do those stripes represent? Um, <clears throat> what do we mean by um, interpreting the, the scripture? So as a conclusion, interpreting the Bible literally and apply it by analogy. Interpret the passage literally within its situational context, within its cultural context. That's what we're trying to do even in the book of Galatians. Find the principles and then apply wisdom to find how those principles apply in, in our own lives. Um, one uh, quick example, and then I'll, um, then I'll conclude Galatians chapter 4 and let's see if anybody's got any, any comments. If you look at Paul, one of, the, one of the things that Paul reaches back in the Old Testament and, and, and observes is that there is a command not to muzzle the ox. And Paul claims in his epistles, if you don't muzzle the ox, that is similar to paying preachers and paying people like him. So how does Paul come to that conclusion? He comes to that conclusion, in my mind, by following these steps of biblical interpretation. Interpret that passage literally. What is the point? The point is to not muzzle the ox because God wants to make sure that labor of the ox is rewarded. So how do we, uh, so that principle uh, is obviously mentioned in, in uh, the second point, labor is rewarded, and then finding ways to apply that. He's applying that in, that, in the situation he's describing anyway, and paying and, and compensating those who are preaching. The reason I want to go back to this is because it is going to be important for Galatians chapter 5, to understand this point, um, this faith that we are undergoing here today, and even in the study of Galatians and throughout, is a critical thinking faith. Um, we're going to talk about walking by the Spirit uh, this morning, not analyzing by the Spirit, walking uh, by the Spirit. This is something we're going to have to think about uh, as we do it. Um, so, how we interpret the Bible, how we interpret what Paul is trying to say here um, is something that is not just something that is given to us in checklist form, uh, but it's something we have to, we have to walk in. Um, I think that's one of the many things that Paul is saying is in contrast to the Old Testament law. It's not just go here every Saturday, present this lamb every Saturday, and you'll be fine. Circumcise your firstborn children and you'll be fine. This, this Christian faith that Paul is teaching to the Galatians is different than that. And we're going to kind of carve out some pieces of uh, how it's different here in chapter 5. <clears throat> okay. A little bit of an uh, elaborated introduction there. Any comments on the end of, um, of chapter 4? I've got a mic and uh, Mr. David's got a bike. <clears throat> All right. I've got only two sections of Galatians 5, um, so again, kind of a self-preservation here. I'm going to stop, um, and uh, please <clears throat> encourage you to, 
encourage you to speak up. Galatians chapter 5 and Galatians 6 are, I would, I would imagine, more uh, well-known or well-studied parts of the book of Galatians um, compared to the things we've talked about before. So if, please, if you've got comments, uh, let's have them. Let's start with the first 12 verses of Galatians chapter 5. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law, and you have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you, a little leaven, leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you that the Lord, <clears throat> that in the Lord you will, be, you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I, speak, if I preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has become abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Okay, um, Galatians chapter 5. Um, again, uh, as, as has been my normal uh, um, kind of methods here, these are some of the thoughts that I've got of these first 12 verses. So if you get lost in the things that I'm saying, find yourself back on the map and we'll, um, and we'll get back together. Galatians chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2. Um, to me, a good summary, a good transition verse from the multiple arguments now we're transitioning to the so what of these arguments. So, so what am I supposed to do now that you have uh, you've laid out a case to not obey the law of Moses? Um, Paul is, gonna, is going to say the goal of the gospel is freedom, is liberty in Christ. Liberty from the law of Moses and liberty, freedom you know, from the bondage of sin. It starts with the idea of freedom and, and burden in chapter 5, verse 1. Um, do not let, let yourselves be burdened. Do not be subject again. Um, to me, shows a, a, a personal accountability. Uh, there was personal accountability that the Judaizers were trying to get, back, get after them with in circumcision. This one issue... Uh, this one act that he talks about again here in chapter 5 um, was the kind of the, the cornerstone for the Judaizers. And I've talked to some of you individually like off, off of the, uh, this class period about it. But think for a moment, why pick circumcision um, as, the, as the cornerstone, as the touchstone of, of this of this message around following the law. Why would they pick um, circumcision? In my mind, um, it is as simple as this. If you're willing to commit to that, you're willing to commit to anything. Um, it, is a, it is a representation of, um, you know, it, it, is, it is an activity that is, that is joined, it is tied to, 
the, re the reproductive organs of, of, of a man, thus carrying on of generations and generations. So it is, it is um, to me, a, a, a very interesting touchstone, because if you're willing to commit to that, if the Judaizers can get you to commit to, uh, to doing something in that regard, they can get you to commit uh, to the rest of the law, which again uh, is their point. So the why, that's to me anyway, I mean, I welcome comments when I pause here in a second if there's any other things you can think of. We know that Abraham was also uh, had, a, had that commitment, uh, but it is, a, it is a way to show in their mind anyway, true commitment uh, to, to the full law. And Paul is saying, if you go back to that, we, I mean, he's, he said these similar things in chapters 2 and chapter 3. To me, he's saying them in a, in a slightly different way. If you go back, listen to me, Galatians. Um, if you let yourselves be circumcised, the value that Christ has in your life is going to be gone. You're telling every man that now I am circumcised, now I'm obligated to the whole law. So now you're trying to justify yourself by the law and you're alienating yourself from the grace of Christ that, was, that, has been, that has brought you salvation, okay? That to me is the message of these first uh, 12 verses or so. Again, he's mentioned it in, in different ways up to this point, but that, that is his message. How are you fallen from grace? We like that uh, catchphrase in chapter 5 and verse 4. Let's make sure we don't apply it necessarily to ourselves first. Let's apply it to what it would have meant to them. If you're going after circumcision, you are putting aside the grace that was given to you uh, in the salvation of Jesus Christ and trying to replace that grace with the following of the old law. Now, um, how do these, um, so how is circumcision and the following of the old law completely a, a, a difference, a, a reversal of what he's been trying to teach them uh, before? Um, it's, it's really in three, three characteristics. Their faith, verse 5, we, for we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for hope and right, uh, the hope of righteousness, So their faith, their means of access to God comes by the Spirit, whereas the Judaizers would have taught that it comes through the, the law. So that one, again, kind of a repeating, I've said the same thing about a hundred times in different ways uh, in this class. The, the, the faith and their salvation comes through the means of the Spirit. Also in verse 5, their faith is a hope for something that is better or, or coming in the future. Um, as opposed to the Judaizing teachers. The ultimate to the Judaizer was to be a part of the nation of Israel. That is the ultimate. You become a part of Abraham's seed through circumcision, through following the law. Now you are a man of faith. And Paul is saying, look, part of our faith in verse 5 is we are waiting for the hope of righteousness. We have something that we are hoping for uh, in this in this faith, and then also <clears throat> verse 6, this faith works through love. Um, the back half of the section that I read uh, gets, again, is kind of a, a, another way of Pauling being quite aggressive um, in the way that he writes um, Galatians. I've made the claim a few 
few classes now, that Galatians stands out to me as one of the more abrasive uh, letters that Paul has written. Paul has called these people distorters of the gospel. He has wished, he has, he has said that they should be accursed. Chapter one, what they are doing is trying to make people stay in under custody of the law of Moses. Chapter three, what they are teaching is elementary school stuff. Chapter four, he is trying to bring them back to slavery. Chapter five and chapter, excuse me, chapter four and chapter five and verse one. Um, these <clears throat> did not come from God. You know, chapter four, chapter five and verse eight. So whatever they're doing uh, is not from God. Um, and then in chapter five and verse 12, gets to a, a, a good shot at them. Uh, I feel so strongly against what they're, that they're, doing, they're doing that if they think that circumcision uh, is the way that, they, that, that you should go to become a better person or a better Christian, well, I would wish that they would just go and mutilate themselves. Uh, that's how strongly I feel about how, um, how they're teaching and what they're teaching. So if, if it's not been clear up to this point, how Paul feels about the people who are teaching uh, in, the, in these churches. Hopefully, hopefully you have uh, an understanding, understanding now. I don't know if you can be a little, if you can be stronger than, uh, than this language here. One more comment, and then I'll open it up to, open it up to the group. Verse 8, um, he calls them a persuasion. This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. <clears throat> There's a couple of times where Paul uh, uses similar language. Don't don't turn here. Uh, I'm just going to read a couple of things. Galatians, uh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter five and verse six. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Colossians chapter two and verse four. I say to you that let no one delude you with with a persuasive argument. Uh, chapter two and verse eight. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty de uh, deception. Um, Paul is, is appealing to them to recognize what is happening. You are being persuaded. Uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin uh, once said, if you want to persuade, appeal to the interest and not to reason. Appeal to what people are interested in hearing, uh, not necessarily uh, what they need to hear. Um, there is a um, persuasive sort of genius in the mind of the Judaizers. And we mentioned this in chapter one. It would go something like this. Yes, I understand, Galatian church, that Paul taught that Jesus was the Messiah. And I'm not refuting that. I believe too that Jesus uh, was the Messiah. And now we have faith and we have salvation through him. Let's talk about what that means for us now. Uh, it means for us that we should be um, looking at what God has told his people to do in the past and applying it to ourselves. The Jewish law, uh, the, the, the way that we wash our clothes, the way that we wash our hands, the way that we eat and what we eat and what we, how we circumcise our young children. Let's talk about that. Yeah, maybe Paul didn't talk about these things, but look, we're not exactly sure that Paul's even an apostle. Um, he wasn't one of the 12, and I know some of you have met some of the 12, so what we're here to do is guide you in your salvation beyond what Paul taught because Paul is gone and we're now here. You see how that can be very persuasive if you think about it uh, for a moment. <clears throat> and what Paul is saying is this is persuasion, certainly, but it is certainly not, <clears throat> it's not from God. 
All right. <clears throat> Going to see how we're doing. All right. Doing okay. Any comments or anything that jumps out to you before? I got a couple of applications for the first 12 verses, but anything that jumps out to you about, uh, I got it, David, um, the first 12 verses of Galatians 5. You had on your previous slide the word nostalgic, and I, I think if we were to pick a word to describe the Jews and the Hebrew Christians, it was they were continually nostalgic. As soon as they left Egypt, they longed to go back. Uh, when they got to the Promised Land, they longed to go back. It was a continual thing with them to look back rather than forward, mm -hmm. even to the point later on of uh, making alliances with their former enemies, making alliances with those who had put them in bondage and, and done terrible things to them. Uh, and now uh, they're, they're looking back. Christ said, no man who's put his hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of the kingdom. And Paul is warning them of that, to quit this looking back at what was better. We look back, and, and all of us at times have said, boy, looking around, I wish it was like it was when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Well, that's because we see the good things that happened to us in our youth, mm -hmm. but we never look at the bad things. And I think here... Uh, that's what they're doing. They're looking at Abraham and what he did, and he was their uh, mentor, so to speak. Uh, and they chose men rather than God in, in their trust. And it was a continual thing uh, of their history as well as a failure to trust mm -hmm. God completely. Now God has given them Jesus Christ. But I like the old way better. It's like the old commercial, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, when they had the new donut come out. You know, I like the old donut. Hmm. And to them, this is sweet, like a donut, because they can see it. They can mm -hmm. feel it. In their minds, it's been a proven thing. Christ, right. not so much. Yeah. Oh, well, well said. Well said. That's what we talked One of the things we, we made a comment last time, right? Nostalgia is always a lie. It's always a lie. Um, and, and even that the way that they were, um, the way they were applying it was certainly one too. Anyone else? Galatians chapter five, the first uh, twelve verses. Yes, sir. Just a comment on verse four. Uh, there are some today, perhaps many, that teach that we cannot fall from grace. And the way the argument goes is that if grace is an unmerited, unearned undeserved favor from God and we can't attain to it ourselves and how do we lose it but Paul says different here you know he warns them if, if you attempt to be justified by the law the old law then you are fallen from grace he would tell the Ephesians we are saved by grace through faith and so we really see two components to salvation, the grace of God and faith. Mm -hmm. And that we know that the faith that saves is a faith that is obedient. It's an obedient faith. And so when we fall short of obedience, 
like trying to go back to an old law, then we are falling from grace. Yeah, well said. You're leading right into my one of my couple of applications. I'm going to uh, wholeheartedly agree with what David was saying. I'm going to reiterate it maybe in some of my own words. Salvation is an initial response to Jesus Christ and an ongoing uh, response uh, to what Jesus Christ has done. There is an initiation of it. Paul describes it in, in multiple ways. Um, and we saw it back in Galatians uh, 3 that we, are, we belong to Christ, something that happens, um, and, he, and he ties that to our clothing of Christ uh, in baptism. In chapter 5 and verse 1, Christ set us free. And so there is a freedom from the law and a freedom from sin uh, that happens. But there is a point in time where that happens, but it is also a lifetime response. It is something that has to continue. If you look at verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? The, the, the picture of running means that there's something continually happening in your life uh, that, is tied to, that is tied to salvation. And what you've done with that salvation is you, you have severed yourself from Christ. You have, <clears throat> you have made it useless. You've made uh, what happened to you initially powerless. You've brought it to an end. There's multiple ways you, could, you can interpret that. Um, there is a receiving of the gospel, and, now, and there is a continuation uh, that has to happen. We're going to talk a little bit more about that at the end of chapter 5. But I think David is exactly right. And, and, and to build on that is the idea that we have to value the foresight uh, of our actions, value looking ahead or the anticipation of what our actions uh, mean. Uh, think back, um, and this, this I'm going to make the, the negative side of the point um, uh, for a moment. Uh, the Judaizers, they were teaching circumcision and if they had thought through and what Paul is saying to them is in verse 3 have foresight into what circumcision means every man who receives circumcision he is under obligation to keep the whole law the actions that you're taking in this life in this faith you have to think about you have to anticipate what the conclusions of those actions are there's no standalone activity uh, in life anymore. Uh, there, is a, there are actions that have implications down the road. And in this case, there's circumcision. Think about what that means before you take it on. The counter <clears throat> would certainly be true, <clears throat> certainly be true for us. Um, think back, most of us, I would think, and the majority of us in this room, uh, were, if we were to think about our baptism, that baptism was well in the past uh, for, for a number of us. While important and necessary, because for multiple reasons, multiple references in the New Testament, um, we, don't need, we, we need to see the act of baptism as a start of an ongoing, an ongoing process um, where we are continually... Uh, looking to Jesus, uh, becoming part of the family of God, closer and closer to him each day, um, which is what I get, one of the things I get from verse uh, 7, the idea of, of running and having to, to keep running. God <clears throat> wants us to think about, and I'm kind of, 
elaborating on this point because I think it's going to tie right into the last half of chapter uh, 5 here that we need to look at the implications of our lives too. Not just if you, don't just look at the implication of your life if you were to follow the old law. I'm going to tell you what those implications are there in chapter 5 verse 3. Think about what the implications of your life are um, if, you, if you learn and you serve the way I want you to serve uh, in following Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and uh, Paul's going to outline what that means uh, with the phrase, walk by the Spirit. Um, okay, anything else? The first, um, can you get the, Mr. John David? Thank you. Thinking back about uh, verse 1, being subject again to the yoke of slavery. <laughs> Back in chapter 3, you made it clear the only way to be saved by the old law is to keep it perfectly. Mm -hmm. Back in Acts 15, they were talking about this same issue about the Judaizing teachers. And Peter said, uh, why would we want to go back to that old law that he says, neither we nor our fathers were able to bear. Right. right. So in this chapter, he's saying, you, you were enslaved, now you're a free man. Why in the world would you want to go back and be a slave again? It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, also in verse 5, verse 6, he talks about faith and the kind of faith that saves. What matters to God is faith working through love. So the faith that he's talking about is not just believing that Jesus is the Christ includes that, but it's a faith that works, that causes you to keep God's commandments and serve him all your life. What an excellent segue. Hold on to that thought that uh, John just just mentioned because we're going to build upon it in verse 13. So we're going to read, we're going to read verse uh, 13 through the end of the chapter. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, excuse me, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for, those, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. And if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So as we start here, we need to decide what Paul means when he says freedom. Uh, We are called to freedom in verse uh, 13. 
Um, this word can be distorted a little bit in our minds because we are Americans and freedom is a uh, virtue uh, in, in, some, in some cases. Um, we need to be mindful. This, this does not mean autonomy, free to do uh, whatever we want, free to say whatever we want to say, even though the rights of this country you know, provide us that. We are still <clears throat> to have you know, restrictions. The freedom... Um, is our freedom from the penalty of sin and our freedom from not having to obey the law, which has been talked about uh, multiple times uh, already. This freedom in Christ takes a lot of different uh, forms, um, and Paul talks about a few of them. Verses uh, 13 and 14 and 15, you are free to serve one another. So now we are getting to the, 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 the meat of the so what uh, section in chapter 5 and in chapter 6. The law cannot provide freedom from sin, only the gospel can. Therefore, you know, one of the things that you need to be mindful of is in love, serve one another. And one of the ways that you do that is to not do the things in verse 15. Don't bite one another, okay? Don't devour one another. Uh, take care that you're not consumed by one another. And you can imagine, if you can again, put our, let's put ourselves back in this time period uh, where we've got people who are teaching false things and I've come from a life of pagan worship and um, I've come from a life of drunkenness and you've come from a life of uh, Jewish nature and you're trying to resolve your Jewish culture from uh, what it now means to be living faith in Christ. And we're trying to figure this out. And Paul's not here. And we're trying to worship together and take of the Lord's Supper together. And I've got problems with my, with my husband at home or my kids at home because they don't believe the things that I believe. And I'm still trying to figure this out. And there was a guy there on Sunday and we talked and he was talking about circumcision. And this is confusing. You could see how there could be some tension that we build up and we could, we could snap at each other uh, for Galatians um, or if we're Americans. And, and Paul is saying, look, one of the ways that you walk by the Spirit is be mindful of these things and don't bite at each other because as soon as you bite at each other, it's very easy to take that on and on and on and on to where you're devouring and then uh, consuming each other. Be careful of that. Remember, remember the goal. Paul f says that the whole law is fulfilled in one law. He doesn't use the same law that, that, that Jesus uses. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Paul goes to the second one. The goal of the law and the goal of fulfillment is love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and I think it's because, uh, in my mind anyway, feel free to comment uh, when I pause here um, about this idea that I think Paul's appealing to the unity that wouldn't have been as natural at this time, especially when you've got false teachers in the, in the room. Be mindful of the unity that you're supposed to have. Um, freedom <clears throat> to walk in the Spirit. Um, the Galatians are to resist um, sin, not by keeping the law, but by being mindful of what it means to not 
walk in the Spirit and what it means to walk in the Spirit. First, um, Paul says, look, here are some, some ways in which you know you're not walking in the Spirit and you're walking in the flesh. You're walking in your, in your sinful nature. I'm going to give you a list of things that should come to your mind. This is the characteristics of somebody who's walking in the flesh. Not that you have to have all of these, but if you're practicing idolatry. Um, in verse 19, there, were, there are multiple examples of sexual-related uh, works of the flesh. It's very important for Paul to bring those up because this is a very sexualized culture in a different way uh, than ours is. Their religions in some parts of, this, of the world were tied uh, to sexual activity and things like that. There, is a, there was a way that it was a part of their lives that God was not uh, in tune with. And said, look, these are some examples of things that no longer apply to you if you're walking in the Spirit. Drunkenness, um, sorcery, um, and also division. We've talked about serving one another. If you're, if you're spending your time dividing one another, um, these are the things that, um, that, should be, that should be avoided. In turn, um, there are some things to, to be mindful of, and I don't, I don't plan on providing any uh, great uh, new revelation uh, to chapter 5, verses 22 through 26 around the fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> I know that we probably could go in the classroom in the back and see uh, pictures of the fruit of the Spirit. We could talk to our kids about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, this is the things that I would want to say about it um, that may apply and maybe we need to think about. The fruit um, implies uh, that we are to become uh, gardeners. We are to grow. Uh, growth does not come automatically. I know there are multiple uh, gardeners or those who profess to be uh, anyway in this, uh, in this assembly. Uh, and you know the characteristics of a gardener. You can't just plant and hope. You have to think about what you're planting. Think about when you're planting it and the space that you're providing it and the soil and the water and the sunlight and the protection from rabbits or squirrels or bugs or moss. And then as, as it gets bigger, different types of gardening are, are applied. Um, the same is true for the fruit of the Spirit. It is something that we have and it's something that has to continue uh, to grow. The last thing that I would mention here, and I'm gonna, then I'll open it up to, to comments for the last couple of minutes. I heard, a, um, I heard a speaker talk about this passage in a unique way, at least to me it was unique, um, one time. He said, if you look at the fruit of the Spirit, it is easy, it is easy to find uh, counterfeits or similarities in the young, happy lives of young people in America today. Yeah, I'm all about love. I love other people. I'm loving my life. I'm free to who I want to be, who I want to be. I can be that. Sure. Joy. Sure. Have a good time. I, I understand how to have a good time. That's part of life. Peace. Sure. Be free to do whatever. Not restricted. Don't fight with people. Be tolerant. Sure. I can be, I can be peaceful. Kindness. Sure. Be nice to people. Um, all of these things, it makes a lot of sense. I can live a healthy and happy life and live free and, and be, be who I want to be 
and, and be spiritual in this way. Sure, self-control. Self-control does not have that same uh, tone uh, where you can find a way to, uh, to mischaracterize it uh, outside, of, um, outside of what Paul means by fruit of the Spirit. Um, joy is, is deeper than uh, just happiness. Love is just deeper than being nice and being loved by other people. Um, if you think about, and the reason I draw myself to self-control, and the same for, for this person, um, you can't just pick a few of these. Um, you can't say, well, I'm going to be free in Jesus Christ to love and to tolerate and to be nice to people and go my own way and forget the idea of self-control. Um, there, are <clears throat> there are a few virtues um, here that don't necessarily apply uh, as, in the way that we would want them to. You know, patience, uh, self-control, sexually, uh, self-control you could, you could provide as a, a specific example. Um, so again, what are the, what are the, the, the points here? The results, <clears throat> the results of a spiritual life sometimes are far more evident than the, than the reasons for them. The outcome of a Christian life is more evident uh, than the reason for it. The reasons are not just because the law says so. Um, the reason is not because Jesus is right beside me, pushing me and guiding me and saying, don't do this, don't do that. The reason is because I walk in the Spirit um, and how that is manifested, how you can see it, is in things like the fruit of the Spirit fruit of the spirit that is existing today, but is cultured, is gardened, is weeded, is, is, is segregated from the things that, that it shouldn't be there, uh, et cetera. Um, so, so what about this argument about the law and the relationship to Christ? The so what here <clears throat> is summarized in chapter 5, verse 25. If we live by the spirit, so if you're going to listen to the things that I've said, uh, and not obey the law, and in this live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. <clears throat> okay, we have a couple of minutes, well, a couple of seconds. Do not be deterred. David can hold people back if you've got a, uh, if you've got a comment. <clears throat> well, I appreciate your uh, attention. Galatians chapter 6 is is where we're going to wrap up um, next Sunday. It's a little bit shorter and, and to me a little simpler, so I'm going to try to use the back half of, Galatia, of the class next, next week to summarize kind of where we've been. Appreciate your, um, your thoughts for those who, who verbalize them and appreciate your patience with my, uh, <clears throat> with my hacking up here.